Well, praise the Lord. We got to go to sunrise service today. And I, I said to the crowd when we were there, I, I got to pray as we opened. And, you know, we come in here, we say, welcome to God's house, right? You're out on the lake, acres, God's house, outside. Can you imagine just the beauty of that? And that's just here. That's not what heaven's going to be like. That's like a, just a little taste of what heaven's going to be like. And the only reason that we're going to see it is because of the resurrection. Is it not? That's what we are waiting for. Well, actually, we're going to continue our study a little bit on worship. And we're going to tie it into Resurrection Day in a little bit, kind of like we did last week with Palm Sunday. But before we do that, let me recap a little bit. We talked last week about the presence of Jesus should be a reason to invoke worship. Correct? You sense Jesus' presence. You, want, you feel the need and the urge to worship. Let me clarify one thing on that. As I was going through my notes, I thought about this. Sensing God's presence is different from being in God's presence. How many know the difference? God is here whether we sense it or not. Whether we feel something going on, God's here whether that goes on or not. And you can walk in. I saw a short video this morning and I was getting ready and it was, a, it was a comedy about on your way to church Sunday morning. How many of you, especially with small kids, on Sunday morning going to church, it is just all rainbows and sunshine getting ready to go? Or is it more like, hurry up, we're going to be late, get in this car, go, go, go. That's what it's like. And so when you walk into church, you just feel like kicking the cat and just walking in. Sorry, Judy. <laughs> It's just something about that, you know. Can't swing a dead cat, don't want to kick a cat. But you feel like you want to chew nails when you walk into God's house sometimes. But you know what? God's presence is still here. Even if you don't feel it, we should still want to worship. Because we're, we know in our head, whether we sense it or feel it in our hearts or not, sense it's an emotional reaction. You know, sometimes we respond if the songs are sung well or if they're... If we knew them and we liked them and it just the band played great, we sense God's presence. How many know that if the singer messes up and the band doesn't play right and you don't feel like it, God's presence is still here, right? So we worship God not because we have a feeling. We worship God because we know that God's here. That's how we sense God's presence. All right, so we're going to talk about Worship in the next, next aspect. Now, I mentioned this a week or so ago that worshiping God is not just about the music segment. How many understand that? It's, it's everything in your life. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. And I, you know, I thought, damn, is this going to tie into Resurrection Sunday? Is kind of a... I want to say it's not a feel-good sermon. But it is a feel-good sermon. Now, all throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament... Worship cost people. It cost you to worship. It wasn't free. It wasn't something that you just did on your own. It, it cost you to be there. In the Old Testament, they sacrificed animals. They had to raise animals. They had to sacrifice them. In fact, for, for uh, Passover, you couldn't just take a, a lamb out of your flock. How many understand that? Passover was a lamb that you raised, your kids raised for the year prior to that. It became like a pet to them, 
That is the one you had to offer as a Passover lamb, the one that you had a relationship with. So it cost you, you understood what it cost to be in, in relationship with God. It was designed so the family would have something of importance to them to give to God. The most common one, the reference we use for, for costing is uh, David's act of worship in 2 Samuel 24. It says, on that day, Gad went to David and said to him, this is when David sinned by numbering the tribes. He said, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord commanded through, God, for, through Gad. When Aruna looked around and saw the king and his men coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Aruna said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? He said, to buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Aruna said to David, let, let the Lord my king take whatever pleases him and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and here are the threshing sledges and the ox yokes for the wood. O king, Aruna gives all this to the king. Aruna also tried to tell him, may the Lord your God accept you. But the king replied to Aruna and said, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Worship is not just about music. It's not just about money. It's about every aspect of your life. Does it cost us to be a Christian? Romans 12:1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. What is it? This is your spiritual act of worship. Not only was this, when, when the woman who per, poured perfume on Jesus' feet, remember that story? Not only was this costly to her in the monetary value, it, was, it cost her her time. She had to stop her schedule. She had to find out where Jesus was and go seek him out. It cost her dignity because she had to wash his feet in front of a room full of men. She had to dry his feet with her hair. It cost her everything to do that. What was Jesus' reaction to her worship? Luke 7, says, Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiving. forgiven. He accepted that as worship and commended her for giving of herself in the act of worship. And the question I write here is, Jesus worth more than the things that we possess? A lot of people call things that are more important to us idols. But in our act of worship, and we may not think we have any idols, but what things in your life are more important to you than Christ? Are your possessions, your job, your family? What would you not give up? if Jesus asked you to give it up. As an act of worship, what did God tell Abraham? Offer your son. Show me 
that I'm more important to you than even your beloved son. And Abraham's response, we know, was he, would, he did it. And God stopped him at the last second. But what did he say? He says, now I know that I'm more important to you than your son. Malachi 1.6 says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? This is God speaking. If I'm a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? He says, you, repl- you place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? He says, by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Israel was in the habit now of giving their leftovers to God. Whatever they couldn't sell or wasn't of value to them, whatever I had left over, that's what I'm going to give God. That's going to be my sacrifice. If there's nothing else to do, Lord, yeah, I got this guy, this lamb over here, he's not worth anything. That's the one I'm going to sacrifice to you. And what does God say? So I'm not even going to accept that. Because you're giving me your leftovers. You're not giving me what is of value to you. Do we give God our leftovers? Our leftover time? Our leftover talents? Abilities? I thought about that for a second. Do we treat our employers the same way we treat God? Do we give our employers whatever's left over of our time? You know, if there's nothing else to do, boss, I guess I can get around to doing it. But I got a lot of other stuff going on. I can't, I can't make it. If I have time today, boss, you know, I'll make it into work. How's it work with school? You know, Mr. Principal, I don't, I don't have time to help my kids with their homework. But I'm, I know you're going to understand because I'm pretty busy. Oh, hey, coach, just so you know, you know, I'm going to be late every day 15 minutes. That's okay, though, right? We're good. You, my kids will be able to play. You know, we laugh at those, and we think that's ridiculous. Isn't that what we do with God? We give him what's left over. If I'm not doing anything today, then I guess I can go to church. Or if, I'm not, if I have a spare five in my pocket, and I'm not going to spend it on anything, then I can give that to God. You know, I, I know I'm good at, at teaching or singing or whatever, but I'm just too darn busy to, to help God with that. Do we give God our best? Do we sacrifice things that we want in order to please God? We bring the sacrifice of praise. It's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice sometimes when we offer God things that are of value to us. Now, how does this tie into resurrection? I kind of hope we see the comparison here. We sang, Jesus loves me. Imagine God in heaven before Christ came down, before he was born, and God says, you know, I love those people. I love them. But Jesus, you're not going down there, man. That's, too much grief's going to go on. 
I love them a lot, but I'm not, I'm not sacrificing my son for them. I'm not going to give my best for them. They're, you know, I love them, but I just got, there's too much sacrifice involved for them. But he didn't do that. The Bible says he gave his best for us. Think about the pain and suffering that Jesus went through in order for us to be here today. And we celebrate the resurrection, and that's, you know, the cornerstone of the faith. But do we remember all the suffering and agony that Jesus went through to get to the point of the resurrection? He sacrificed everything. He put himself on the line. He gave everything for us. When we worship him, do we give him everything? 1 Peter 1.18 says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. He paid for you with the, with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God gave his best for us. John 3.16, most famous verse that everyone knows. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Matthew 3.16 says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Do we think that God, who is perfect in love, loved Jesus any less than we love our kids? Do you think it was not that big of a deal for God to offer his son for us? Think about it. Would you offer your child to go through that for somebody who really didn't care? I don't know anybody that would do that. But Jesus did it, and all he wants back is the life that he's given us. We are resurrected people now. We no longer are slaves to the flesh or slaves to sin. Now we can live for God in all that we do. Does Christ's sacrifice warrant giving God everything we are, the best of everything we are? We celebrate the resurrection today, which according to the scriptures, as Keith mentioned, is the only reason that we're here, the only reason for our faith. What's the Bible say about the resurrection? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who are also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If for this life only we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. We are... Uh, our senior pastor, the church we came from, from here, his wife passed away this week. And uh, touched a lot of lives. But you think, what if there were no resurrection? That's it. For people we know who have died in the Lord, who knew Christ, if there were no resurrection, that'd be it. We'd be like, we'd be going to, to the dirt, and that would be all there is. But the resurrection, because of the resurrection, this life is not all there is. There's a saying that says, life is fatal. You ever hear that verse? Life is fatal. 
No one gets out alive. The question is, are you prepared for that day? Because there's going to be a resurrection of everybody. The question is, where are you going to go after the resurrection? Your body doesn't de decay and become dirt, and that's it. The Bible says God brings those bodies back to life, and now you're going to stand before God in judgment. So we're all going to get resurrected at some point. Where are we going to go after that? The resurrection says there's going to be a resurrection. Our choice is given to us now. What are we going to do with the knowledge of Christ? You know, at sunrise service, we were, Keith was there and I was there and, and Keith shared and he said this, Buddha, Confucius, Joseph Smith, L. Ron Hubbard, all those guys, guess what? They're all dead. All leaders of other faiths are all dead. No one's resurrected. Jesus was the only one resurrected. And because of that, Jesus is alive right now. Right now. He's here in this room right now. You know, I've said before that Jesus is so close that you don't even have to turn around to see him. Jesus is always here. In fact, I heard one evangelist say that when God looks down upon his people, he sees Jesus standing right here. He sees Jesus' righteousness, not mine. Hallelujah. We mentioned earlier this month the reason for Jesus' death. Jesus' death was not to fill a God-shaped hole in your heart. Jesus' death was not even meant to give you a better life, although it does. Jesus' death was meant to save you from one thing, and that's God's judgment. When we are resurrected, after we leave this body, this earth, when we stand before God, and God says, he looks in the book, is your name in the book? That's a decision, that's the choice we make today and every day. Now, some of the events of Resurrection Day, I'm going to go through those real quickly. We know that Peter and John raced to the tomb to find it empty. This is, think about these things that we're going to mention here. Who was the first person Jesus revealed himself to? Mark 16, 9, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. Of all the people... Why Mary Magdalene? I don't think Jesus does anything with that specific meaning and purpose behind it. Obviously, being filled with seven demons, she was probably a pretty big sinner. At that time, women were thought of as second-class citizens. Jesus wanted to make sure that everyone understood that he's back to save sinners and to recognize before everybody else as the Bible says later, there's no more male, female, slave, Greek. We're all the same. He picked Mary Magdalene to reveal himself to first. He wanted everyone to know that if I'm going to save her, then everybody else needs to get saved as well. Mark 2.17 says, On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous, not sinners. He wanted, to know that, he wanted everyone to know that even a person like Mary was worthy 
of being saved. It wasn't all the righteous people who thought they were good. It was the ones who knew that they weren't. And what was she given? She was given the awesome responsibility by Jesus himself of breaking the information to everybody else. That'd be pretty cool, right? There was no one beyond the love of Christ, no matter what society may say. Jesus came to save everyone. And everyone is in need of salvation. You know, we, we talked on Wednesday night about, you know, sickness and suffering. Why does that happen in, in the world today with, with God? And one of the things we thought about was, you know, how many of us know good people that bad things happen to? We all know but what does the Bible say about that? Now, this may seem harsh. But what's the Bible say about that? The Bible says there's no one good, not even one. So even though we think that people who are, quote, good, they suffer, they're not any different in God's eyes than all of us who need Jesus. There's one seemingly small thing that happens here, and we'll look at it real quickly. When the ladies went to anoint Jesus' body, they were met by an angel. And Mark's account has this phrase, and we've talked about this before. It says this, Mark 16, 6. The angel says, don't be alarmed. He said, you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you, there you will see him just as he told you. Now, why does the angel specify Peter? Out of all the 12 or the 11 now, why does he pick out Peter? Because you know the story. Jesus told Peter he's going to deny him. Peter said adamantly, I'm not going to deny you. I'll even go to death with you. And what happens? He makes it out into the, into the garden. And a couple of little girls come up and say, hey, I think I know you. You're, you're one of his. And he started calling down swear words and says, I'm not his. Can you imagine what Peter felt when that happened? Luke actually brings it out. He says this in Luke 22. He says, Peter replied, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and verse 61 says, the Lord looked, or turned and looked straight at Peter. Imagine that. How, how bad would you feel you promised Jesus hours ago, I'm going to go to the grave with you. I'll die for you. And now, a few hours later, he's denying him, and Jesus looks right at him and sees him in the act of denying. Verse 62 says, and he went outside and wept bitterly. What's going through Peter's mind right now? I'm a loser. I'm a failure. I can't even be called one of his disciples. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like a failure, loser? That there's nothing good in your life that God, you can't use anything in me. But God knew there was something in Peter that he could use. And what's he say? Go back and tell my disciples and make sure you find Peter because I know he doesn't think he's a disciple right now. He thinks he's lost and he thinks he's out for good. But make it a point to tell him I'm alive. By telling the ladies to tell everyone and Peter, Jesus wants Peter to know it's been forgiven. 
even that, what seemed like a horrific sin at that moment, Jesus forgave him. Do you think that Jesus knows every time that you have sinned? Do you think that Jesus knows every time that you're going to sin from here to the time you go to be with Jesus? You know what's amazing to me is God knew every time you're going to fail and he still picked you. He still chose you. He says, I know this guy's going to blow it 5,000 times before he dies. He's going to blow it big time, but I'm still picking him. I'm still picking him. And because of the resurrection, we can be assured that when he picks you, he picks you for good. He knew Peter was going to blow it. He told Peter he was going to blow it. And he wanted Peter to know, I knew it, but come on back. I got a job for you. Even the best of people who love Jesus will eventually blow it. And sometimes really big. But it doesn't preclude you from God's love and redemption. The two separate incidences we talked about, what do we know from them? Well, the first one is Jesus came to save the worst of sinners. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've done in your past or what you think you are right now, the Bible says there's no sin that God can't forgive. As well, there's one of not believing in Jesus. But other than that, there's no other sin you can commit that God can't forgive if you ask for forgiveness. And the second one, and that, that may apply more. Jesus came to restore those of us who may have strayed from our commitment. That we made a commitment, man, we're going to serve you, Jesus, and no sooner do we do that than we blow it. How many have ever done that? You leave church on Sunday, man, I'm going to serve God, I'm going to serve God, and on Monday morning, you just, you blow it. Happens. You think God knew that? Absolutely. You think God wants you to recommit and move on from there? Absolutely. That's exactly what he wanted to do with Peter. And what's he tell him, Peter in John 21? He gives him a job to do. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Why? Going back to the worship part of it, now that Peter's restored, God asked him, or Jesus asked him now, to do something. It's not just an act of saying, hallelujah, I'm forgiven. Now it's an act of, okay, you're restored. I'm gonna put you to work. And it's gonna cost you something to be my disciple. How many have ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? Anybody? The 11 were all crucified except for John. They were all killed in some horrific way. And John was exiled on, a, on an island by himself. They knew what was facing them. They knew the hardships and the persecution that was facing them. And they did it because they want to serve God. When we become believers and we accept the goodness of God and we have God's favor, that's the beginning of what God wants to do. Now, I was thinking this morning before we came in, what if service or church was all about just the finances? Well, we would have the best-looking, empty church in town. Because it's not just about that. That's a, that's, a, that's a tool 
to get where God wants you to be. Now imagine a church like this one, built in 1974, not ADA compliant, roof working, grass, it's old, but it's filled with people who are called to do God's work. And the place is filled with people and filled with people doing and sacrificing their time and talents to help others just in this building. Can you imagine which one God appreciates? The beautiful, you know, I used to be Catholic and there, when I went to the church there was a huge, huge Catholic church and a beautiful church. Dead as the day is long. And they are the best of everything. But man, when you come into a church like this, you can feel God's spirit and you know God's here and everyone is joined together, sacrificing to build God's kingdom. That's worship. That is all included in worship. So when we sing our songs, that's like the beginning of the week. Man, we're, we're worshiping God, God fills us, and then what? What God fills us with, we now use. If we don't use it, we lose it. How many remember taking algebra in high school? How many of you use algebra now? Yeah, you do. And you do. And occasionally me. But now try to help your kids with their math. And you forget everything you've ever been taught because you haven't used it. If we don't use what God gives us, Think about the, talent, the parable of the talents. God gives one to ten, five, one ten, and one one. And he honors the, the two that do something with it. But the one who didn't do anything with what God gave him, God took it away from him and gave it to somebody else. What talents and abilities do you have that could help God's kingdom, that can further the kingdom of God, that can bless people that really, rather than having an empty church that looks great, now we have a church full of people that still looks great. We still have a, a full church of everyone doing what God's called them to do, every tool in place, every person in place doing what God's called them to do. That is the entire morning is worship. Sunday school is worship. Preparing the donuts is worship. Receiving the offering, counting the offering, doing the sound, everything we do here is worship because it's all geared to honor Christ and to help others. What would, how would worship be if we had no sound? If we had no instrument? How would Sunday school be if there was no one to teach it? We all come to class and sit around and look at each other. You come for donuts on Sunday morning and there's no donuts. And then there'd be a riot. <laughs> what if no one was here during the week to prepare the building for worship on Sunday? All that we do is gearing us is a part of what God has called us to do. The Bible says, and I, this is my paraphrase, there are no bench warmers in God's kingdom. No one's sitting on the bench waiting to be played. Everyone has a position and everyone plays. Now whether we choose to do that or not is up to us, but God calls each one of us to use our talents and abilities to further his kingdom. I told the, the teenagers today, I forget what we were talking about, and I said, you know what? 
This is not Burger King. We don't get to have it our way, right? How many of you with your family, you agree on everything all the time in every situation? 100%. What happens when you disagree? You disagree, but you're still part of the family. You still go where they're gonna go, you still do what they're gonna do, but you're still part of the family. You don't, you don't pick up your ball and bat and go home if the family makes you mad, because you'd be leaving all the time. This is the body of Christ, and our spiritual act of worship is to do what God has given us to do to facilitate his kingdom. You know, going to come a time where us old guys are going to be gone. And you new guys got to be ready to go. And I'm talking like that age new I guy right there. Amen. The young kids. We came back from youth convention. Awesome time. And you know, that's when they get called. That's where God anoints them. That's what happens. And they're preparing because you know what? God's kingdom does not end with us. Right? I have a book in my office. It's called The Autopsy of a Deceased Church. Why churches close, you know, and they do. The churches close every year. Hundreds of churches close their doors every year. And the, the, one of the things that they talk about in the book is when you're only gearing to one generation, what happens when that one generation dies off? So our job is not to prepare our generation. Our job is to prepare that generation and the kids that are downstairs. Those are the ones that are going to carry on God's kingdom. But if we don't have folks to do that, then we're not fulfilling God's call upon our lives. Would you stand as we close this morning? One of the speakers at convention, I liked his, his, his analogy. He, he drew this, he said, you know what? In our churches, we have the time... Of, of commitment where we have the people close their eyes and bow their heads and quietly raise their hands so no one sees. He says, that's a much a hooey. <laughs> he says, you need to be able to stand. If you can't raise your hand in church, you're never gonna be able to do it outside the church. So with everyone's eyes wide open, don't have to be looking at me, but wide open. The last sentence I wrote here, it says, Resurrection Day is the beginning of the Christian faith. It can also be the beginning or the new beginning of your walk with Christ, depending on where you are. Maybe you're here today. This is your first time you came because it's Easter and you come to church. And the next time you plan on coming back would be Christmas. That's okay. Because you're here today because God wanted you to be here. God wants to change your life right now. So that you're not coming back, well, you'll come back on Christmas, but you'll come back next week and the week after that because it's not, it's not church. It's coming to be in God's presence and have God change your life. Everyone in here has been changed by the power of God from what we were to what we are. That's what we come for. We don't come because it's Sunday morning, 1030, you've got to be at church. You come because God's presence is here and he wants to do something in you. And maybe he wants to use you to reach somebody else. Ephesians 4.11 says he gave, you know, God gave apostles, prophets, you know, all that teachers, pastors, to do what? To do all the work? To equip the saints 
to do the work of the ministry. You're out in the field every day. I get a holy huddle during the week, me, myself, and I, here. But you guys are in the, in the field. You guys, are, the right fields are out there with you guys. You never know who God's put in your path to affect change in their life. And the, the one guy, he says, you know, I'm done uh, under-challenging teens. Because I'm, I'm done under-challenging them. I'm going to really put a challenge on them. And that's what we need to do to ourselves. Rather than under-challenging ourselves, really push ourselves to the limit, challenge us to do something we're really uncomfortable with. Maybe you can talk to someone you've never talked to before. Maybe God will anoint you to say something to them or use a word of knowledge to tell them something in their life that only they know. Man, God can use you in powerful ways. You never know how it's going to happen, but it, it won't happen if we're not open to it happening. And then you've got to step out in faith and kind of do it. All right, let's pray. If you're here this morning, you've never, you've never accepted Christ. You're here because it's Easter, and that's awesome. We are glad you're here. But the reason you're here is because God drew you here. Now, you may think you brought yourself here, but God brought you here because God wants to affect a change in your life, not just sitting in a pew, but to the point where your life really can matter to others. And you don't have that relationship now. You're not sure what we're talking about, but you're really curious and you want to find out. Well, this service is for you then. And if you want to know Jesus the way that we're talking about him and the way we've experienced him this morning, and I want you to raise your hand because God is here to make that change in you. I can't change you. But the Holy Spirit through Jesus can change your life and make you a different person. Maybe you're here this morning and you've just, you know, you've kind of grown lukewarm in the faith and yeah, you come to church and you're not really involved or you're, you're kind of hesitant. This is God's challenge for you to get you back in the game, to get you back involved doing things. It may not be a public thing. It may not be teaching, but it may be something that will, can affect someone else's life, that can really change someone just by your presence or by your testimony or maybe even just because you're very nice to them. They can see something in your life that's different. Father, I pray your blessings upon each person here. Lord, I thank you for the resurrection power that we experience. I thank you, Jesus, that each one of us, if we love you, if we accepted you as our Savior, then we are guaranteed that at one day we will be resurrected unto life. We will have life eternal. We will have perfect bodies. Whatever that means, it will be perfect. And we will no longer have any worries, any sickness, suffering, pain, sorrow. Only possible because of the resurrection of Jesus. Lord, allow us to experience that. and Let us have joy and, and excitement with that. That the lives that we're living is not, we're not living it to ourselves, but Jesus, you're living it through us. And the things that you do through us are the things that really matter to the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray your blessings upon each family. Let them enjoy the remainder of this day as most of us congregate with our families. But allow us to keep you first and foremost in all that we do. 
And let our worship be more than singing. Let it be an act that we do all day, every day, that our lives are a living sacrifice of praise. And Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Have a great resurrection day. As you leave, Katie is out there with a basket. A little goodie for you as you leave. I think there's a piece of candy in there or a rock or something. I'm not sure what's in there. But she's got one for each of you. <laughs>